reminds us that our, our following of Jesus is not just an American ideal. It's a global one. And we're grateful for that. Because if we're not careful, we find ourselves just dug in, thinking it should look like us, be like us, taste like us. That's great. Thanks, Adinka. So how was your week? Anybody get some exercise this week? <laughs> A little bit of shoveling. Hope you enjoyed the beauty of the snow. Uh, while it places the, some limits on us occasionally for some of us. Uh, the seasons can remind us of the seasons of the Lord in our own lives. And so hopefully that be really, it becomes a reflection. You kind of go, you know, I wonder what the Lord's doing right now. You know, what, what's going dormant in my heart in order to, to bring about the seed of his life, right? It's just some wonderful, wonderful things to do in that. Well, we are in the last section of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel of Jesus, As I stated a couple of weeks ago, Jesus places us before these warnings, places these warnings right before us at the end of his messages, at the end of this message to his disciples who are seated around him on this mountain and to us here. And today I am calling uh, the message for today, Practices for Life, Practices for Life. Have you noticed that we live in an information overload? You notice that? So there's this guy, uh, he's an inventor, creator, and all-around kind of curious guy, I think. His name is Buckmeister Fuller. He created uh, this theory called the knowledge-doubling curve, the knowledge-doubling curve. Up until 1900, he realized that knowledge doubled every 100 years, Now think about this with me. We're going to go somewhere and it's going to happen really quickly. By the end of World War II, knowledge was doubling and information was doubling every 25 years. And it has continued to accelerate to the point, uh, hold on to your seats, that knowledge or information doubles approximately every 12 hours. You feel a little tired right now? Man, I do. Feel out of touch? Absolutely. Now, think about this. In Jesus' day, I mean, you know, that's just incredible. That the over, you know, it took 100 years for information to, to, uh, to renew or have new information. And then if somebody's born tomorrow, they're already behind the curve before they get into the end of the day. Now, some of your just crazy, uh, your anxiety just ratcheted up like 1,000 meters. And that's exactly what happens, right? We feel overwhelmed due to all the information overload that comes at us. I mean, we just cannot keep up. And some of us have realized we've, we've just stepped off that hamster wheel. Uh, we're good with that. But there are others of us who really feel that it's necessary that we keep up. And imagine, every 12 hours, uh, there's information that is uh, just being scrolled out there that's new. The crazy thing about that, though, is that we do not, uh, are not able to, uh, let me use this word, uh, in this context, evolve in our ethics and our morality to keep up with what is being presented to us on a regular basis. 
I mean, just think. What, what do you think, as I indicated, happens to humanity with all of this information? Well, one side of it is exactly what I mentioned just a moment ago. We become anx- anxious. Anxiety levels just live at a low grade uh, for most of us most of the time. And uh, potentially, because it lives at a low grade, we're, we're quicker to snap. Uh, we're quicker to, you know, to respond outside of the bounds of what normal emotional responses should or could be if we were, you know, had it under control in ourselves. There's the other flip side, which is where I think a lot of us have gotten and gone, is that we just are a little bit apathetic about whatever happens. So some of us, we see the news that happens around the world, the Russian-Ukraine conflict, uh, that it seems to be brewing on the border there. And some of us go, whatever. I mean, it's their world, it's their thing, it's what they're doing. And then others of us see it, and we're like, oh, what's going to happen, right? We, we just have this, this thing in us. Even what is transpiring in China right now, the Olympics, but underneath the Olympics are just this brewing political uh, malaise. I mean, just it's kind of coming to the surface. And if you saw any of the opening, I thought it was rather interesting. You know, they addressed it, the uh, president of the Olympic Committee addressed it in part head on. And all of that can do different things. But I think the most, for most of us, we're used to hearing so much information, we just don't do anything about it. We do nothing about it. We hear the information, and we're so inundated with so much all the time, and we can't even cope with the own information that deals with ourselves personally and keep up with that, that we just kind of go, you know, I'm just going to turn it off. And as we approach this passage of Scripture This morning, I want to caution you, not because I have any merit or any say, but because Jesus cautions you not to do that, not to turn off the information of which he has just been preaching on. And I know it's taken us a few weeks to get through the Sermon on the Mount, but it's critical information needed for this life to be lived well and to live well with Jesus for all eternity. So, back to the passage. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, in everyone who hears these words of mine, and what is he talking about? Therefore, who is he talking about? All the things that were said in the Sermon on the Mount up to this point, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person or a man or woman who built his, his or her house on the rock. Jesus makes it clear that this knowledge drop that he has given to them is not to, be gone, not to be put into a file folder and put on your desk underneath a bunch of other stuff or a journal where we journal something and put it on a desk or in our mental notes, but it is something that we're to put into practice. Practice means that we do something with it. How many of you have ever gone to a conference and they've given you a book, you fill out the book, you've come home, and you put it on your shelf. And you look at it every so often, and you go, huh, there was probably something good in there, but I, am, I just don't have the time. 
I've, man, I've done that numerous times. I love the conferences when they send, the, send you to the conference and they actually say, hey, the group that you're with, uh, pull out one thing that you're going to implement. That those are the better conferences in my estimation, but I've been to way too many and they're in my office. You can, you can ask me about them and I might remember, I might not. This word practice, though, in this passage of scripture is the word poieo, and poieo simply means to act, obey, or do. He is saying you have to put into practice, into training, into application in your life what I have just told you. It is so, so important. In fact, this whole Matthew chapter 7, these last warnings are filled with the word poieo. They're not translated into the English that way, yet they're there. So if you then, though you are evil, know how to get good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, poieo others what you have, would have them poieo to you. Do to you, right? By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree, poieos, good fruit, produces. But a bad tree, poieos, bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear poieo, good fruit. Every tree that does not poieo, good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. It is a practice we put into play. Jesus then tells a parable around this principle that he's trying to get us to practice. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, verse 24 again, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Jesus states that there are two people in life who listen and respond to his words. Those are the wise person and those of the foolish person. Uh, the person who hears and puts into practice what he has stated leads to wisdom, leads to wisdom in their life and to life not only now and later. Thus the title is a double entendre, entendre. While this may seem to be harsh to classify people this way, we need not be surprised by this. Uh, we, we're not surprised by those people in our lives who lead foolish lives nor uh, un, or wise lives. And neither is scripture. Uh, one, we need to understand that Jesus is attempting to try to get our attention. He is trying to wake us from a slumber that maybe we're in. And two, this is the common thread throughout culture, uh, culture of the day and in the Hebrew Bible. Just one, one spot in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 to 22. It says this, and this is wisdom personified as a woman, rightly, probably so. 
says, out in, the, out, out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you, who, you, how long you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Uh, Proverbs is prolific with these pronouncements of people who are foolish and wise and simple. The nudge is that we would become truth beholders, that we would hold on to the truth that he has given, given to us. As you can tell, and as you can read on your own at another time, we have, if you need a Bible, we have them back there. We'll take the one in front of you. We would not mind. But the Bible is filled with this idea of the wise and the fool. Over and over and over again. The house in Jesus' day that he is speaking of was not just a place you went back to after you were in your workspace. A lot of us create our homes as a place for R&R, rest and relaxation. Uh, But in that day, during Jesus' time, the house was a, a place that you slept, a house that was also a place of your workplace. When my mom and dad were first married, their house was on US 12. Their house was also the front of front, one of the fronts for our family business at the time. And so they not only lived in it, but things were commerced out of it. It was incredible. It doesn't happen all in all places, but it happened occasionally. But this was the way it was then. A house wasn't an investment. It was an ancestral hand-me-down, if you will. And, and Jesus is talking about the house is your life. He's talking about your whole being. Your house is your life. Not only where you go and rest, but everything you do in and out of it. So in Jesus' parable, the wise and the foolish are building a house. Uh, you know, I, I'll have to be honest. Uh, Kathy and I are looking at a, a few places to spend some R&R And we're not looking for places in the mountains right now. We're looking for a little sand, beach, and sunshine. Now, whether that'll happen or not, I don't know. But I'll tell you what, at different times of the year, this is the point. At different times of the year, the sand is alluring, right? I mean, especially when it comes with some sunshine and a little water that's warmer than ice. Yes. And I think at different times... Both can be seen in the same light. As I understand the topography of the area of which Jesus was talking about was filled with wadis, and uh, during flash floods, those could be disastrous. I remember being in uh, Mexico. Uh, we, had, uh, we were there with the, the, the rollers, uh, David and Yvonne, when they were there, and uh, our youth group at the time set up tents in the desert. Now, what they don't tell you is in a monsoon, the desert becomes a river, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, just uh, incredibly within hours, our uh, tents were, uh, <laughs> were deluged by rain, smashed, and uh, some of us were floating around, right? And that's the case, because sometimes what we build on looks like it will work. There are certain parts of our uh, southeastern 
uh, Michigan that I, I kind of question why people have built where they've built because every time I drive through those areas, there's water standing in their yards. But we may question why people actually build in a bowl in New Orleans, but I'm not here to get in any fights about that. <laughs> My point is this, is that we have a choice. We can choose, and Jesus is saying this, we have a choice of building on the rock We have a choice of building in the sand. But what he is saying is that when the floods come and the winds blow, it will reveal what we have heard and what we have put into practice. Whether we have built on a rock or we've built on sand. Life includes, friends, streams rising and winds blowing. It's just the way it is. that's what's included with life. Have you noticed that? Some of you uh, went to the doctor recently and they kind of said, hey, uh, you you have now a new prescription. You didn't sign up for that, did you? No. Uh, You know, some of us realize that there, there are maybe some little things that are happening to our physical homes and we have to repair them. Did you sign up for those things? Absolutely not. We realize once we get into a class that the class is much more difficult than we anticipated and maybe a little more advanced than we thought it was going to be. And we didn't sign up for that and yet that's the challenge before us. You didn't realize that when you got married that you got married to the person you got married to and some of those things become a little more difficult. They're not unsustainable, but they're a little more difficult. Life continues to happen Streams rise, winds blow. They reveal what you have built on. And that's exactly what Jesus is attempting to tell us. When you build on the rock, you can can sustain any storm this life would ever throw at you. Ever throw at you. You build on the sand, you cannot. Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 13, he says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation than the, than other, other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. What is the day that he is talking about? He is talking about when he comes, when you go. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Well, he does not use floods And wind, he uses fire as refining. This is one of the things you have to love about Jesus. I mean, if if you're new to the faith or new to investigating the faith, you won't get this a lot of other places, but Jesus is honest about life. Life is tough. Life is tough. In this world, he says, you will have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world. What kind of a Messiah walks around doing that? Only Jesus does, friends. There's something refreshing about honesty, about life. 
life reveals on what, on who our house is built. If we, if we can, we should choose to build on the rock. Yet, Jesus contrasts this house built on the rock with a house built on sand. Life, again, happens. Floods come, winds blow, and it falls with a great crash. Uh, the term in Greek is mega. It comes from that word. It's like a, not just a small one, but an implosion, kind of this great crash. Not this slight one where you get a flat tire, but life, your wheels come off your car. Again, why don't they hear? Why don't they hear and respond? We're not told. Uh, Jesus is such a masterful teacher that he wants you to find yourself in the storyline. Whether being the builder on the rock or the one who's like, I've heard this before. Maybe I should take heed to this. Right? Maybe... Maybe they're busy at school trying to figure out their classes, get their degree, and get their life on. And he's like, oh, wait a second. Uh, you need to do what I've said to do. Maybe it's one of these. Is I'm, I'm so busy with raising kids. I, I don't have time to put into practice what I should be putting into practice. My career is just getting started, but if I, if I pay attention and practice what Jesus has proclaimed, whoa, wait a second, it doesn't really fit and jive into my goals. Could be that you're nearing retirement, you're going, if I put into practice what Jesus has told me, the cruises may have to take a second chair. I don't know what it is. But there is a great temptation, and Jesus is attempting to get our attention and say, look, put, the pra- put into practice what I have proclaim to you over this sermon and do what I've asked you to do. We simply do not know why the foolish person hears Jesus' words yet chooses to build on sand instead of the rock. We don't know why, but they do. Jesus doesn't simply, he doesn't simply tell us. Yet, we know that life includes streams, rising and winds blowing and will reveal our work at the end time. How how can we avoid this? How how can we avoid the potential of building in the wrong place? Well, you know, while we might not like always uh, those those people from the township who come in and inspect the work that we do uh, around our building because it might cost us a little bit more. Their job is actually to help us to make sure that we build correctly so it withstands the test of time. And so might we do much of the same. Jesus has created the church for that one of the very purposes, not only his word, but the church itself. You'll see in this next image that we, uh, oh, here we go. I forgot about these. You don't think too much about building inside the rock, But that house is built inside the rock. Isn't that crazy? Wouldn't that be a safe place to be? Right? Over against here. You know, this is my illustration. I think this is is actually Lake Michigan. Now, I'm sure when that house was built, they weren't anywhere close to that bluff. 
They thought they were assured. Hmm. Makes you think, doesn't it? I want to build on the rock or be in the rock? Or do I want to have that lakeside view and take the risk as they come? The dangerous place to be. But Jesus has created the church in order for us to, uh, I think, to help to avoid potential pitfalls that come our way. Yet, we're pretty uncomfortable in our American ways of doing things to be uh, so vulnerable, so honest uh, with the places of which we're tempted to build on the sand. But I believe he has given us the church to do that. You'll see this next image, I believe. Here we call our discipleship pathway, we have it in three different categories, gather, grow, go. So if you're paying uh, paying attention to Pastor Mark last week, you'll notice there there are some similarities if you listen to what I say. Gathering in with community in order to grow up into God, to be able to go out in mission. We gather in community, and this is the one I want to hit on. We gather in community to be able to share, hey, this is what's going on in my life. What right path do you believe will you pray with me that I'll take? But often in our Western individualized way of doing things, we isolate and insulate ourselves from others because we are not, we're not really comfortable with sharing what we're weak in. To be able to reveal those potential places of faults, I'm talking about fault lines, not in us, but our, the fault lines that could come to be able to get to the place where we are, are healthy. Inside Ipsy Free, this is our design, that you would become part of a small group in order for you to say, hey, this is what's happening with me. You may not know the answer, but I need you to pray with me that the Holy Spirit, get it? The Holy Spirit's the tie here. He's the empowerment of who we are. The Holy Spirit will inform me with your wisdom and our collective wisdom out of God's word that we'll know the right path to go. And that that will help me to grow up in Jesus, to adore him, to love him, to live for him, to read his word, to be in it, to be able to go on mission for him as he has called me to do. This is our pattern, if you will, for the practices that are found within the Sermon on the Mount. They're not all spelled out there, but they're there to help you. But I'm fearful that many of us are so confident in ourselves that we miss out on the opportunity to be in community to be able to get the collective wisdom of the church family when it comes to doing life and living for Jesus well. We gather in community not just to feel good and have a good meal. Those are great things. And I love that. I love laughing. I love taking, you know, doing all those things. But we gather really to listen to one another, to pray for one another, and to help each other in our, grow, our, our going, if you will, this whole discipleship pathway leading to the very end of to the eternity with each other. The crazy thing is that in our America, Americanized way of doing 
life, we think that inspiration and perspiration will get us to our end goal. Let me explain. Some of us may have, have made the goal to floss our teeth every day, uh, you know, on a daily basis. Now, I've, I've made the goal, I'll be honest. Uh, you know, hey, this is a good thing. Dennis has got to be right. You know, they have a, they've, they've done all this, all this time in school. They're probably right in what they're saying. But, you know, on my own inspiration, when I, when I go to the dentist and they go, hey, you need to do this, and my own perspiration, I never get there. Have you found that to be true with you? It's like going to the gym. I have a membership to a gym, but mm, it's getting from here to there that's difficult. And we need accountability. We need one another. It, we just need it. And just maybe on some of the even more minor things and smaller things, of our, what we think are smaller, but they're greater things, like staying consistent and reading the word. Spending time in prayer. Staying off those things that tempt us to sin. We need other people. We need to gather to be reminded that we're, we're going in a different destination than the rest of the world around us. I, friends, I, I simply need to drink more water every day. I mean, I, I'm just trying to bring it back to real life things. That we realize, we go, I can do this, I can do this, and we make a resolution, we make a goal, and we, we just can't get to it. And I know some of us think, and some of us have some great self-will, probably better than others are in the group. I get that. But there's something that you know you should be doing, not because somebody's doing an ought, should, and would, and could against you, but because internally the Holy Spirit's going, hey, you remember that thing? And you went, yeah, I lost my moxie a long time ago on that. Jesus says we need to lead a life built on the rock. And Jesus led a life that was built on his father, but led in community with one another in order for him, for, and he modeled it, but he also needed it. I believe that because he was fully human, fully God. We need the same thing. We get to the end of this message of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and it says this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. If you look in the message, I love how Eugene Peterson puts it, and he puts it in a way that really kind of grabs it, and I forgot to put it in my notes, I'll be honest. And he said, Jesus practiced what he preached Friends, the world is desiring and hungering for people to practice what they preach, to do what they say, to live according to the way Jesus has called them. So what do we do on our next steps? Sometimes I watch this old house. Anybody ever watch that show? I love it. I love it when they're doing remodels. It gets me inspired, but that's about it. But here's a, here's a quote. Here's a quote. A proper foundation does more than just hold a house above the ground. Building foundations also keeps out moisture, insulates against the cold, resists movement of the earth around it. Oh, and one more thing. I love this. 
It should last forever. No wonder builders like this whole house, general contractor Tim Silva, loved, I love their accents too, by the way. I don't live on the East Coast. Take foundation seriously. Without a good one, he says, you're, you're sunk. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. So let me ask you this question. What practices give life? I mean, seriously, what practices give life? What are you building your foundation on? What are you building your life on? Are you building your life on Jesus and his teachings? And you could just live Matthew 5 through 7 for the rest of your days. I believe it. And you would be spot on. There's more, but you, could, you would be spot on. Have you, have you wrapped your life around the practices which lead to life? Not the next Netflix binge. Not the next you know, restaurant you're going to go to. All of those things are okay. But when we wrap ourselves around those things, we've lost and we're losing our foundation that, was, that potentially is built on the rock and we're allowing it to be built on the sand. Because those things have ideologies and thoughts that Jesus talked about just previous to this. False prophets speaking false ways, leading in the wrong direction, building your house on the sand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you...